Welcome to Power Band Podcast, New Zealand's premier motorcycling podcast made by Kiwi Riders for Kiwi Riders. This is Season 4, Episode 4. My name is Ray Heron, and joining me for the first time this season, it's Matthew Day-Gillett. Hey, man, it's good to be back. Hey, I haven't heard your voice in oh so long. Where's you been? Oh, you know, doing this and that. Um, yeah, fam- family stuff getting a bit in the way lately. Uh, you know how it is. No, bro, where's your wheelie been? <laughs> well, to be honest, I've got three of those outside and there's one in the baby's room full of dirty nappies if you're uh, that interested. <laughs> I'm not that interested, to be honest. This is my uh, 30 minutes a week escape from the children. Let's not talk about them. Let's talk about motorcycles. Sounds fun. Uh, more about catching up with you very shortly, but uh, on the Facebook page over the last week or so, we've been asking people whether they like our big, long, 60-minute epic uh, yarns uh, or they like a 20-minute, short, succinct, produced podcast. Uh, and generally, Overwhelmingly, people are liking the shorter episodes, Matt. So yeah. I think maybe we should uh, dispense with a bit of the chit chat and dive straight in with uh, some some punchy news. So, uh, first thing that caught our eye this week is uh, Suzuki has announced the dates for this year's Tri-Series. The Suzuki Series uh, kicks off in the uh, 7th and 8th of December. That'll be at Bruce McLaren Motorsport Park in Topo. Uh, moving to round two, it will be at Manfield in the mighty Manawatu, 14th and 15th of December. So that's, what, a week apart? And then there's a good couple of weeks between that and the next round, which is, of course, the uh, Cemetery Circuit in Whanganui on Boxing Day, the Boxing Day Street Race. So that's all pretty cool. Well, they're really packing in those, those first two rounds, aren't they? 7th and 8th of December, then 14th, 15th of December. Yeah, well, I suppose it's kind of how the Suzuki Series is always run. And, of course, you've got the Jixa Cup running underneath that as well. Um, and it's no longer restricted to young riders. Um, us old fatties can get in there as well, um, which is pretty sweet. Um, and early bird tickets online for the Suzuki Series. Um, you go in the draw to win your choice of a Jixa 150 street legal bike or a full-on race bike. So uh, that sounds pretty cool. So you can actually win your own race bike. What would you go for? Would you go for the street legal bike or the race bike? I honestly don't. I kind of think I'd probably go race bike, to be honest, just to have a bit of a laugh. <laughs> right. Well, I see tickets are available at ticketset.co.nz or you can hit, hit up cemeterycircuit.co.nz as well. Uh, competitors from France, Germany and Australia are among the pack. Uh, more information, just um, Google Cemetery Circuit or Suzuki Series, I guess. Yeah, it's a really cool series, actually. And you'll often get um, Isle of Man TT races coming out and um, having a go in their off-season, which is really cool because it's not like we can go over to the Isle of Man twice a year to go catch up and see what's going on there in person. So uh, more, more about the Isle of Man coming up in the podcast a little bit later on. But let's crack on with our second story for the podcast. Now, you may remember a few months back, we went for a ride around Mount Taranaki and the Forgotten Highway. Uh, we stopped at... Uh, uh, a rather well-known pub slash hotel in the in the Fungamamamana uh, Hotel, the the Republic, um, and I see the Fungamamamana Hotel. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I was waiting for it. Is up for sale. <laughs> They're asking a cool two point one million dollars for the old pub slash hotel, which I'm led to believe was built in the uh, early 1900s, but it's not the original building because uh, not long after it was built, it got burnt down and then rebuilt. Sounds like that's kind of what happens with. My- most pubs in New Zealand, they get built sometime in the 1800s and then some idiot has a few too many and burns the bloody place down. Uh, not a bad place though. The, um, like, oh, that Wonga burger, I still have dreams about how good that burger was. Oh, what the uh, yes. new owners are, 
I hope they don't change the menu. The question, <laughs> though, the question though is, was it so good because we we expected lunch about three hours earlier than we got it uh, because of that long ride in the gravel, or was it just really good? Uh, re- reading here from the Radio New Zealand or RNZ uh, story that they published, the Forgotten Highways Fire Hotel Pub is for sale. If you ever if you've ever fancied owning one of New Zealand's uh, backcountry pubs, now is your chance. It's more than 110 years old in eastern Taranaki and it's on the market for a cool 2.1 million nestled roughly halfway between Stratford and Tomaranui on State Highway 43. Otherwise known as the Forgotten Highway, the Whangamamanamana has a a permanent population of, get this, 10. 10 people live around the pub, uh, with another 110 living in the the wider valley area. The self-declared republic... That's including the local goats. Including the goats and sheep and that bull that we almost ran over. A self-declared republic, the focal point of the town, uh, as locals like to call it. The Whangamamana Hotel was built in 1902, burnt down in 1910, leaving nothing apart from the offending coal range behind. Uh, the present hotel was built in 19. 19- 11 or 1912 depending on who you speak to uh, current owners uh, Richard and Vicky Pratt are the 39th and 40th owners respectively they've had it for 6 years and they think it's time to pass it on uh, lovely, lovely dwelling uh, if you've got a call to two and a bit million floating around I'd love to go in on it with you, I've got about 50 cents in my back pocket. Well, I've got $3 in my uh, key bowl where I keep all my keys uh, which I found the other day so you can have that. Uh, we'll chuck the link to the story up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash powerbandpodcast, but uh, I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on this, and when it does sell, I'm quite keen to go and meet the new uh, the new owners and do that road again. Yeah, I'm keen. Yeah, hopefully you know, a little bit faster this time than last time, because uh, I don't know about you, but someone was keeping us uh, a bit held up last time we rode that road. Uh, yeah, that'd be me, and if I did it again, I'd have a better bike. Maybe the uh, the, the, the Suzuki uh, V-Strom 650, the DL that I've been riding for the last few weeks. I did a story on that last episode, and that is a brilliant bike uh, for being average. It's probably the best average bike uh, that you can that money can buy, I think. Uh, and it, 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 I, call, I call it the best average bike because it didn't excel in any area, any one single place, but it did everything. It did the rocky uh, river river valley. It did the, the gravel roads. It did the highway. It did the commuting. Uh, it was just a solid bike. So I, I'd probably grab that again and, and follow you down. Yeah, oh, definitely be good fun. Like, I like to think of the V-Strom. And, like, a few years ago, I had a um, nasty crash on the motorway and I lost a lot of my riding confidence and it was a V-Strom 650 that brought that confidence back and it's yeah it's your typical jack of all trades it's probably the best way I think of saying it like it does everything well it just doesn't do everything exceptionally well that said I went and did a road that I did on the V-Strom a couple of weeks ago I did it yesterday on the MT-07 and the MT-07 was not a nice bike to be riding on that particular bit of road every undulation and every time the you know the road kind of dropped away you, you felt it and then the bike just bounced you know after Afterwards, it's um, the, it's been said before. The suspension on the MTO Seven is not fantastic from factory. Mm, are we falling out of love? Are we? I don't know. Watch this space. Uh, should we crack on with story three? Yes. Yeah, so uh, the New Zealand Motocross of Nations bounced. So those are the guys that uh, go overseas and rep us um, somewhere in the world against the best motocross riders. Um, so it used to be called the MX Des Nations, or maybe that's still what it is. Um, very fruity, very uh, European. Anyway, this year it's held in Assen in 
where is Essen? Essen's in Belgium, I believe. Um, and Netherlands, Netherlands, Belgium, yeah, somewhere in the somewhere in Europe. Um, so the Kiwis that are going are Wyatt Chase from Topol. Uh, then also joining him will be Maximus Purvis, who is from Mangakino, and British-based Cantab rider Dylan Walsh, um, who's been doing um, some pretty amazing things over there in MX2. So those are your MX of Nations team for this year. And interestingly, they're all first-timers. Um, they're all MX of Nations virgins. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to see what uh, how these guys do because it's um, last year, I think it was, it was in the UK and it was an absolute mudder. Um, and you couldn't even tell who was riding. They were just caked in mud. So, uh, yeah, he's hoping they do all right. Uh, what else is going on in the news this week, Ray? Um, I believe it's n- something not too flash. Oh, no, it's not too flash, to be fair. Uh, the, uh, the Isle of Man TT, the classic TT, was on over the weekend. And uh, unfortunately, and our hearts go out to them in a tragic turn of events, New Zealander Chris Swallow was killed at the Isle of Man TT motorcycle race. Uh, he was a Wellington lad. It was Chris Swallow. He died after an accident. The 37-year-old was an experienced competitor in what is known as the world's most dangerous motorsport event. Swallow was competing in the senior classic TT race and crashed at, uh, how do I say that, bridge? At the bridge section of the course on Saturday local time. He made his debut in 2007 at the Manx Grand Prix and uh, competed regularly in the Classic TT races. Swallow achieved uh, two runner-up places in the 2012 Classic Manx Grand Prix and the 350cc and the 500cc races and was fourth in last year's Senior Classic TT race. This story from staff, we'll link it on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Power Band Podcast. Uh, hearts go out to friends and family, family of Chris Swallow, but unfortunately, he's not the only high-profile person to die on, on a motorcycle in a high-profile race. Of course, earlier in the year, we had the uh, the Pikes Peak race, uh, and refresh my memory, Matt, hopefully you can, on the name of the rider who died on his Ducati. Carlin Dunn was the name of that rider, um, and I was also having a quick look at this uh, stuff story that you whacked up and I'm not sure if you said this already uh, Chris Swallow who is top bloke he organised and won Wellington's Bear Mile in 2012 which sounds like an awesome event um, but he is the 8th Kiwi to be killed at the Isle of Man TT with the last being Paul Dobbs in 2010 um, so sadly we've lost a lot of Kiwis at the Isle of Man mm. and not only is this year the year for uh, cancelled motorcycle events but it seems to be the year for losing a lot of uh, of, of decent chaps uh, and good and good riders too so um if, you, if you're getting out on a motorbike, I mean, we can't say no because we all love motorbikes. It's the reason we listen to this podcast, for starters. Uh, but just be, be just that little bit careful. Um, I guess when you're racing, you've, you've got you've to leave nothing on the table, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's, well, we all know it's not exactly a safe thing we do riding motorcycles. We know the risks, but um, yeah, just extra bit of vigilance and um, yeah, if you think you're riding at 10 tenths back it off a little bit so we'll leave it on that note we'll round off the news 
we'll carry on with a couple of yarns because, you know, it's been a while since we've had a chat. Uh, and firstly, I wanted to catch up with you, Matt, on the live wire. Now, we've heard uh, a few reports. We uh, we brought the Kiwi writer story that you uh, wrote to the podcast and there was also a video that went live on Kiwi Rider and on throttle.co.nz in the last uh, week or two uh, but uh, we haven't actually had a chance to have a yarn about it yeah so what do you want to know because I think I, well yeah what do you want to know what do I want to know I want to know how it feels like I, you mentioned in one of your stories that uh, it felt a little bit uh, a little bit flighty in, in the corners and it didn't really have much engine braking as, as you would kind of traditionally have on a on an uh, internal combustion engine motorcycle. So um, talk us through that. How did it work? All right, so it's a really weird thing to describe because, like, of course, you don't have that noise as well and you don't have an actual torque curve. Like, you've just got full torque, full power from the get-go. So imagine you're sort of in the middle of a nice sweeping corner and you've kind of cocked up your line and you want to sort of readjust. If you're doing that on your own regular bike or whatever, you might change down a gear or you might just tap the brake um, or ease off the throttle a bit and the engine braking be nice and predictable because it just goes and pulls you back a bit where the live wire while it does have that regenerative braking it doesn't necessarily feel the same and i don't know what it was it could have been the suspension of the bike not being set up for my um fatness because um, they all just set up the factory specs but yeah mid corner it just felt it felt very different to what i'm used to on a motorcycle and it's it's kind of the way i kind of thought about it was you have just that instant power but also have the same effects on the chassis that you would with an internal combustion engine um, and yeah it was like it wasn't a bad thing it was you did get used to it but yeah it just felt almost sharper or yeah quicker to turn than you really ideally want I don't know if that made any sense at all, but was it like likening things to being digital to analog? Was it was it a bit more either on or off uh, instead of having a variable resistor? Not so much. They've got the throttle response. Yeah, they've got the throttle response tuned beautifully, and you've got four rider modes on that bike. So you've got um, a range mode, a wet mode, a road mode, and a sport mode. Um, and each of those different modes has different um, regenerative braking characteristics. So I think if I was in maybe range mode, range mode has I think. The most in uh, regenerative braking it would have felt possibly more like a regular bike um but because it's like it's constantly changing and everything they do have also that's the first harley to have traction control um lean sensitive abs um and a few other newfangled uh, bits for harley um which the 2020 um cvo and lowrider s are now all implementing so you'll start seeing that technology which has debuted on livewire filtering through the harley range but the um livewire itself was yeah it was very digital in a way but yeah it still felt like a motorcycle um but the weirdest thing i gotta say is we were riding we'd left the hotel we were starting out the ride in the first 10 minutes the first thing that hit us was oh we can actually talk to each other here in the city as we're riding along at 50k an hour um you don't have to shout through your helmet to be heard it was it's a very social bike was it was it seriously that quiet yeah so you've got um i don't know if you can grab um a clip of the bike doing a drive-by Um, so that's what the bike sounds like, but if you're rolling along 
just quietly in the city, um, it's actually pretty quiet. So the way that that sound works is it comes off the bevel gear drive. So you've got the motor, which is the silver thing at the very bottom of the bike, and it transfers power from the motor to the final drive via a bevel system. And so the harder you are on that throttle, the louder that system then becomes. So if you're pinning it in sport mode along a straight road, it just whines and it just gets louder. So it's a very strange thing to watch because there are a few of us, we'd stopped for lunch and the, we were doing some photos and whatnot. And um, a couple of the Aussie journos jumped on the bike and went down this long straight. And instead of the bike getting quieter as it got further away, for the first half of this, would have called it about a K and a half long straight, the bike was getting louder, <laughs> which was a very funny thing. Yeah, it was strange, actually. It's, a, it's very different in so many ways. And one of the things people sort of like to come back on with it being an electric bike, and that is it doesn't have a sound. It's too quiet. People aren't going to hear you. Loud pipes save lives, blah, blah, blah. Oh, whatever. Yeah, you know what? It's got um, Harley have actually um, put this really amazing bit of kit on there, which actually prevents the whole thing. It alerts other vehicles to your presence and that. And it's called a horn. And funnily enough, a whole lot of other bikes have this thing as well. Um, so, yeah, if you're worried about vehicles not seeing you, Hoot the horn, mate. It's what they do in every other country. Um, i got to say, it really irritates me when people say, oh, I've got a loud exhaust so people can hear me coming. It just, it, yeah, they're going to hear you coming and they think, oh, there's a twat somewhere. Yeah, but also it's... Like I know we talked about this before, but your pipes shoot backwards. That's where the most noise is. So the people that you've already passed hear you the most. People up in front of you that have got their stereo tune turned up in, a, in their very new car, which is incredibly sounded, and they're not going to hear anything until you've gone right past them and your exhaust is right next to their window. Don't get me wrong. I love a loud exhaust too. But if you've got a loud exhaust, it's for yourself. It's not for people hearing you coming. Um, the other thing I just wanted to have a quick moan about was all these people having a good old wind about the live wire and saying, oh, it's, it's too expensive and it hasn't got the range. You might be right. Yeah, 40 grand for the bike. And what is it? How many, how, how many Ks do you get out of a tank, um, so to speak? Per charge, I think max was 200 and, whoa, geez, off the top of my head. It was, it was a good 235, I think, in the city. If you're charging it off your wall plug, so your 240 volt um, household outlet, it'll take you 10 to 12 hours to charge it from dead flat and... Like we rode them for six hours straight and I still had 30 something percent battery and we were caning these things. Um, but also fast chargers. So those things you see, all those Teslas and Nissan Leafs plugged in around the main centers. Um, we've got a couple of fast chargers here in Cambridge. If you plug into one of those, it takes an hour to charge from dead flat to full battery. That's pretty good. But the other thing I'd like to say about, about the range, right, is how many times do you see a bunch of dudes on cruisers, Harleys, whatever, do more than 100 Ks before stopping for a coffee or a plate of fish and chips? Like, seriously, 200 Ks has got to be your day out. We, we, did, we went and did the ride for respect, right? And I was on one of the only non-chrome-plated cruisers, right? It was 60 Ks from here, over the hill, over the, over the Rimutakas, into Wairarapa, to the stop point, and then 60 Ks back. For your, for your social rides, are you seriously going to do more than 250 Ks? Hmm. Yeah, and it's... Yeah, and when it comes back to the price and everything, Harley are marketing... The Livewire is a premium product. It's they're not expecting it to sell like hotcakes. They know it's, it's also a niche the first bike. one of its kind, right? Yeah, and it's the top one. So when we were at doing the press launch thingy, um, they were saying so Livewire is the pinnacle. It's the very top of this new range of electrics. 
all the other electrics Harley are doing are going to slot in underneath it. So one of the interesting things I asked was, is it possible to make Livewire a lambs bike and retune it? Because it's all electronic. You could retune it and make it lambs. But price being about 40 to 50 grand, we don't know what the price will be yet. Um, and the fact that it's this pinnacle product means Livewire is never going to be a lambs bike, but there could be one that slots into that category coming in the near future, which will be very interesting. Yes, so um, lots of whinges about everything new, but don't worry about it. It's a great bike, and and w- w- the more that come out, the cheaper the technology is going to get, right? Mm, and it's like the thing that um, I walked away from that launch with the most... Um, I should probably stop fiddling with that. Um, the thing that I walked away from that launch with the most was... Um, it was the last day. I was sitting in the lobby of the hotel with my bag packed, ready to get on the multiple planes back to get to New Zealand. And I had this epiphany as I'm not going to ride anything that talky until I ride the live wire again. Um, the way that thing delivers its power is insane. Um, and it, you don't have any gears or anything. You just twist the throttle and hold on for dear life. And I'm really hoping that when they do a local launch in Australasia, once the bikes arrived, it's expected sort of end of next year, sort of August through um, December possibly. Um, but I hope they include a track day portion because this thing handled so well, apart from that mid-corner jitteriness, which I think was possibly, yeah, like I said, down to suspension, setup, and not used to the way the bike delivers power. It will be awesome fun to have a hoon on a track on one of those bikes. And when it does come to New Zealand, sign me up. Yeah, honestly, if you get the chance to do it, like it will be like even if you're not in the market, just go and give it a go because it is so different and it's it is the future. Like, tell you what, the other bike that's popped out, the other bike that's popped out in the last, uh, was probably come to New Zealand the last week or two was the. Um, the Indian uh, FTR 1200. Now, of course, that's not an electric bike, completely different kettle of fish, but we're talking about bikes that I want to be signed up to ride. It's just popped up in New Zealand, and Wellington Motorcycles have a couple, which I'm really keen to go and check out. Funny you say that. I was driving back from Hamilton Zoo today with the family, and I actually saw one in the wild for the first time today, and I was going, I really need to get onto Polaris and organise a test ride of one of those, because they look so damn cool. They do. They definitely do. Um, Speaking of bikes I've seen in the wild... I saw a Moto Guzzi V85 TT in the in the wild last week. Oh, what did you think? I want to ride one, but I don't know if I want to own one. I, I, I want to ride one because they, they all the reports that I've heard from you and from Jock McLaughlin at Kiwi Rider, uh, they're, they're, they're great bikes and they can do what they say. They they, they do what they say on the box, right? Um, and, and the the uh, Italians have definitely thought outside the box when they've designed these bikes. I think the front end of it looks a little too cartoon for me. It looks a little too Darkwing Duck. Uh, it's got two bulbous eyes, much like Darkwing Duck and a big duck bill. Um, I I don't know if I could own one, but that said, I've, I've only seen one in the wild, so I could be swayed. I, the front end of the V85 TT, I actually really, really like, and I really like that bike as a whole. It's comfy. It'll do anything that I'm likely to do. But in that same category, there is a new contender, which is two grand cheaper, and I recently took a look at it, and I think I might be swayed that way, and that is, of course the uh, Tenere 700 which arrives in December. Ah yes and they've recently just done their uh, their big world tour uh, from Auckland down through Wellington down to Christchurch uh, and the bike looks absolutely fantastic. Also if you want to 
if you want to check it out, uh, mates down in Dunedin at um, at MCR, Rick Jameson's going to have uh, one of those bikes in store for the uh, Otago Southland crew. If you missed out seeing it on the World Tour, you'll be able to see it in store there. Yeah, oh, honestly, like they had. So I went to the Auckland um, event the, of the Trans Tasman Tenere Tour, and. Um, it was the, so they had um, a Dakar race bike there, WR450 that's being built up to the Dakar. That was pretty cool to look at. But they had the three Tenere 700s. So they had one decked out with um, a whole lot of the touring accessories. So it had the panniers, lights. Um, oh, geez, what else did it have? Had a few other bits and pieces. Um, they had one with the lowering kit and the low seat. And when I tell you that it was low, Imagine a cruiser seat height, and that was basically how low that Tenere 700 felt. Wow. Yeah, it was. And unfortunately, that was the white one, which out of the three colors, so there is the blue, the black, and the white in red. The white and the red in person, to my mind, is the best looking bike. There was a vote held at the uh, Auckland event. I'm not sure how they did in Wellington and Christchurch. Um, But um, the general consensus seemed to be the blue um, was the favorite color. Um, But my pick's the white. Um, But yeah, man, that lowering kit. um, Personally, I think you'd probably, like for you and I, we'd probably only need the lowering seat. We wouldn't need to go for the lowering linkage. Uh, but lowering linkage plus lowering seat means that like, our wives could almost get on this bike. It's crazy low. Then they had the last bike was decked out with um, to be an off-roader. So it had some really aggressive, I think it was Dunlop tires, um, massive knobbies. Um, the rally seat, which is too tall for me, I can say. Um, that it's, yeah, I'm not even tippy toes with the rally seat. That really makes it a lot taller. Um, and a few other nice off-roady bits like a headlight protector in that. Overall, like these were pre-production bikes, and the build quality was perfect. Like I couldn't find an exposed wire or anything. Um, we got to start them up. Um, the one bike, um, I think it was the rally spec'd up bike, had an Acro exhaust, so Acropovic exhaust. Um, honestly, I don't like it's for a fourteen hundred dollar accessory part. I don't think I'd bother with the loud exhaust. It, that sounded just as good because it's got that CP2 engine with a factory exhaust. Um, but if you like loud exhaust, the Acro does like it is quite nice. It's just yeah, they they do snarl with an Acrovovic exhaust. They sound absolutely amazing. But you're right with, with an adventure bike, something you're going to take off road. Do you need a loud exhaust? Yeah, well, taking it back to the comparison with the Guzzi. So the Guzzi, if you go for the Tenere over the Guzzi, so they're both roughly similar um, sized engines and whatnot, um, similar sort of adventure bike uh, credentials. Um, you're saving two grand going for the Guzzi. So if you put the Acro exhaust on your Tenere, you've got 600 bucks left over that you've saved that you can spend on gas or your on-road costs or something. And I was sort of looking through the accessories thing and I was thinking, actually, no, I'd probably spend it on a whole lot of other kit. Um, um, spend, save that 1400 bucks and use it um, getting, say, the luggage or um, there was a whole lot of other cool stuff like skid plate protection. Um, they've really got a heck of a lot of stuff that's coming out when this bike launches in December. Um, I've got a full list of all the um, accessories on, on throttle.co.nz with all the pricing that's confirmed for New Zealand. Um, and you could really have a good fun time. Like I wish they had um, Triumph used to have on their website a thing where you could click on a bike and you could click through the accessories and see them pop up on the bike and sort of I'd waste hours just like building up my dream street triple R or something like that. I wish Yamaha would do something like that because you could have a whole lot of fun with the 
Tenere 700. Officially, that bike's going to be launched in November, so you'll start seeing the first New Zealand press reviews. Those will come out sort of, I imagine, late November, and the bikes officially land in December, I've been told by Yamaha New Zealand's uh, managing director, which is really cool. Most of the shipments have, um, well, most of the bikes have been sold, but if you go into your local Yamaha dealer, he tells me, put your name down, put down a deposit, and they will get a bike for you uh, quick smart, which is really cool of them, because in Australia, I think 90% of the Australian allotments sold out, which is crazy. Outstanding. Tell you what, though, if you've got uh, a a smaller budget than that, and you're looking for a Yamaha that you can take off-road, there's a 2003 Yamaha WR250F for sale. Uh, here in Wellington, uh, hit me up and, and I'll be happy enough to, uh, to, to to let you have a cruise on it. <laughs> yeah, who's, well, I saw that you were selling the WR. What's the reason behind that, man? Are you a bit sick of trail riding? No, I love trail riding, but the WR, it's it's um, it's an outstanding bike. It's good to go. I've done all the work on it, but uh, I think I want something a little bit more fuel injected. And I also need a little bit of cash before Christmas uh, to buy a car. So uh, it's a pretty simple scenario there. Nothing wrong with the bike. Uh, but you know needs must when you've real life gets in the way exactly <laughs> so um, we'll, we'll see what happens there but uh, it, by all means if you um, if you're after a WR that's had all the work done you spray it new chain new sprockets a uh, whole lot of other bits and pieces uh, email us uh, powerbandpodcast at gmail.com there's my free plug that's my payment for this whole uh, season I think <laughs> if the bike sells well yes exactly uh, that's pretty much us for this episode uh, of course if you want to get in touch with us do email us uh, powerbandpodcast at gmail.com we're on facebook facebook.com forward slash powerbandpodcast we're also on instagram so uh, at powerbandpodcast you'll get us there um, sharing and updating as much as we can Matt your website on throttle.co.nz and that's where you'll find uh, hopefully the latest uh, news reviews and uh, other motorcycle related content um, that is not a copy and paste press release from uh, a manufacturer seen a couple of other sites just copy paste um, from the manufacturer which is well apart from not being good journalism it's sort of it's not really it's just telling you what they want you to hear isn't it um, which it kind of annoys me seeing that kind of thing going on so uh, you'll never see a copy, direct copy and paste on onthrall.co.nz while I've got my uh, hand in there I'll tell you what another place you'll never see a direct copy and paste is Kiwi Rider kiwirider.co.nz it's a magazine but it's not printed it's online it's digital uh, I got uh, hit up the other day because uh, somebody said I don't like the fact that I can't get that new magazine smell through the internet uh, so maybe we should look into bottling that and, um, and and selling it for Father's Day. Yeah, that would be a good thing, wouldn't it? But it would have to be one of the good smells. I have seen, depending on the printer, in my very short time working in magazines, um, depending on the printer, a new magazine doesn't smell great depending on who's done it. Um, some magazines smell better than others. Um, we could do a whole podcast reviewing nice-smelling magazines, go into the local supermarket, have a half... <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're not crazy. You're crazy. It's, I only get worried when the voices in my head shut up. I never know what they're up to then. <laughs> KiwiRider.co.nz Check out their website, check out their magazine and check out their Facebook page as well at KiwiRider uh, Magazine. Do, do, do all that because they're bloody good at what they do and we both contribute to what they do and um, this is Powerband Podcast. Hit that subscribe button, hit that like button and share this with a mate because we've all got riding buddies and this uh, podcast will interest them as well. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Ray. I've been Matt. Keep the rubber side down, throttle on and we will catch you in seven days time.